0: Good morning and welcome to our program. Susie Reese and I are here to talk to you about something that I think we've all been talking about privately, but we're going to talk about it publicly today, and that is in our Grief and Loss series, one of the things that has come to mind as we've been doing each of these programs is that with the COVID-19, many of us are grieving our pre-COVID life. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. So the changes that came about. In some cases, people had few changes. But in many, they've been stark and harsh and surprising and shocking. And so we're going to talk about this in in two phases. One, we'll talk about it from when we first began to experience this virus and and what what our thoughts were then, and then a month later now, uh, we'll talk about what we really see as as it evolves, and we will no doubt have a, another show about it later on as it further evolves, as we go on. But Susie, welcome to today's program.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: Uh, well, no problem. We we veered off of some of the other discussions we had because you and I had been talking about you know, there's so many different types of grief and loss. And this fell into it. And I put out on my personal Facebook page, a question last week and said, you know, I, what are you missing from your pre COVID life? I'm missing a great deal. And I got a lot of answers. Some of them were in line with what I was thinking. Some were surprising that I hadn't considered because each of us views our lives through a different perspective and lens based on our circumstances. And let's face it, circumstances change abruptly sometimes. And it's it was very interesting to me. Do you have similar thoughts? Have you had conversations with your friends? I have, and I, I think that... Again, you're
1: right. I think that there are nuances to what people are missing, um, depending on our relationships or life experiences or even just the normal things that we used to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> the habits that we used to have and little things that, that you miss. I really miss the socializing that mm-hmm. I once had with, with people that I could just go and have lunch with and yeah. connect. And now I'm wondering when do I get to
0: do that again? <laughs> um, so that makes that makes life uh, very confusing right now. It's interesting you use the word socializing um, because I think part of what we have felt during this time period is we're very keenly aware of whether we're an introvert or an extrovert at this point. And I think that while people will argue it's easier for an introvert than an extrovert, I would venture to say, It's not easy either way. And let's start back about a month ago. So when the virus first came to the United States, there was so much unknown and so much we were glued to finding out facts about. But there were so many confusing facts. And so that uncertainty... Was a real shift because I think Americans as a whole are pretty stable. Uh, we have our opinions about everything and we feel pretty solid in our opinions. Sometimes too much so, but we are, we're, we're, you know, very sure of ourselves. And for the first time in a very long time, in my view, since 9-11, we were shaken. Did you feel that? Yes. And I think the confusion in itself
1: was very initial for everyone that I knew mm-hmm. and almost the sense of, well, not necessarily understanding, but also um, we knew what people were saying, but so, you know, they started telling us to socially distance according to the government and everything else. And people were essentially feeling like, oh, it's a vacation.
0: <laughs> so, well, and, <laughs> and for two weeks in my neighborhood, that is exactly how it was treated, especially by the college kids who were sent Right. Home.
1: That's what I was seeing in, in teenagers who were thinking, let's go to the park and hang out and have fun. Uh-huh. And adults were allowing that to happen because we were just, we weren't really we sure. We were naive, don't you right. think? And I think, that too, that we didn't necessarily understand what they were saying or the information that they were or were not putting out. And Mm -hmm. I think that that created confusion in itself because here we are all of a sudden, now these are the new parameters of your lives, but that wasn't necessarily explained as to the importance why, um, or even what that would look like. Um, So I I think that people were just kind of like, okay, it's a national vacation. (laughs) Um,
0: It's really funny. Right. And and I want to, clarify the word naive that i just used naive we often use to say oh you don't get it or you're so innocent or you're so silly in this case i'm using naive to mean we were unaware of what was happening we didn't have the facts and my background is actually in clinical research and clinical trials and data and i'm a science nerd and I was paying very close attention because there are, there is no cure for viruses, period. So viruses pose a different, uh, set of rules and behaviors. So you start to listen sometimes with too much information and the information we were getting was tainted and that meant that we had You know, we're all dealing with something unknown from our leadership on down. And globally, things are happening that were really terrifying. So we became compliant, if that's the right word. Um, We were avidly listening and paying attention because this was potentially extraordinarily serious. And so we went from the two-week vacation thing to hearing about Italy Hmm. Um, do you remember this? Yes. Yes, yeah, So we heard, oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I think that part of that was the, the, in our society, we look to our leadership to lead mm-hmm. and for the longest time we put faith in them to enact these things. And so now all of a sudden everything is changing. And instead of saying, well, Hey, we don't necessarily know what to do either. Um, things were happening so quickly all over in so many different places and then all of a sudden you're right. You have Italy and now people are terrified you're going to lock us in our houses and we aren't going to be able to go anywhere. Um, And that's the absolute opposite of having the freedoms that this country was built on.
0: Absolutely. And the interesting part is, in this case, our leadership had no choice but to rely on health experts. Mm. And so leaders had i mean it's it's like a computer what goes in must you know be good to come out the right way and i know that one of my giant frustrations especially given my science background were the models because a model is based on data and if the data is flawed and we were not getting accurate data initially because it was being hidden and until we could get our own data from our own experiences, it made us very distrusting. And, and being distrusting is scary. And it's polarizing. And so there are people who were listening to every single word that came out. But it was... I don't know how to describe it. Um, because you and I both are not going to talk about the politics of this. That's not necessary. But... It it was a time period where we had flawed data and flawed models, which became apparent, but nobody could tell us why. So we were relying at this point on the scientists and past experiences, but this didn't look like anything we'd ever experienced since 1917. And so that was pretty scary at that point so the fears the frustrations and government versus medical telling us what to do um, and the fears were ginned up in many cases some rightfully so some not but let's face it the world the entire world was not prepared for a pandemic of this magnitude or this virulence and only when we got it under control a little bit did we understand that okay maybe there was an overreaction but in that time period we lost a lot of choice right and you said you you missed the socializing well i th- i think what how i would interpret that from my perspective is i missed the choice to socialize I miss the choice of who I can see. I miss the fact that I can't see people in my family because they're high risk, and you know those kinds of things we did for the better good, right. and and I, I feel we did that very altruistically for the most part. We listened and we complied, but we but we began to miss things, and at the same time we were missing things. We were in a state of confusion, uncertainty, and fear. And I've said it before, fear doesn't bring out the best in people. But when you have to follow blanket rulings, because, again, in the beginning we didn't have data, that is scary.
1: Well, and I think part of, and this is my interpretation, part of the issue is for, for most people, Um, in the general public, they don't necessarily have experience in data collection and the research and all of these things. And so they have no understanding of what that entails and what that looks like. And I know you understand that those things aren't, Ever perfect.
0: <laughs> <Mm-mm. laughs> Pure no, science isn't perfect. I mean, right. a, a drug isn't perfect. A vaccine isn't perfect. Right. It's none, nothing well, really humans
1: is. Humans tend to uh, make errors and we, we lose information or the way that we're collecting data is, is not necessarily the best way. And then you have something like this where right. it's new and they don't necessarily have anything in place to, There's no to tool. gather. Right. Right. And so I think. We've, we've learnt, hopefully learned, hopefully <laughs> learn from it in a way that we won't make these same mistakes again, but that creates confusion in itself. And to me, what drive, one of the things that drives fear is not having the right information or not understanding. Yes, um, I have a friend who often says it's not the dark that we're afraid of. It's what's unknown in the dark. And that's what we've all been living in is the unknown for the longest time. And I think that that has created fear and then fear drives anger and
0: fear drives all of these other things. And now we have to go on a break. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: With all the activities that come with the holiday season, it's easy to bypass exercise and for it to get lost in the holiday shuffle. It seems like we have less time, and that stress can really push us over the edge. Exercise relieves stress, and even more importantly, it improves your mood. Being active releases endorphins, and you will feel so much better. Endorphins are chemically very much like morphine. They are a group of hormones that occur naturally in the brain. When released, they increase your body's threshold for pain and affect the way you feel emotionally. The fact that exercise relieves stress, does good things for your body and your health, and also releases endorphins, makes it a high priority all year long, but especially during this hectic but most wonderful time of the year. For the Fitness Minute... I'm Annette Hammond.
0: back one of the things we were talking about on the break is that early on there was confusion because of different states responding differently we are the united states of america we are a republic and each state had the ability to take a look at their local conditions and so it was rather interesting but what that did in this environment of fear and questioning, at least among my neighbors and my family members, is if something was different in another state, you questioned why. And on another program, we talked about how there was very little understanding of why were liquor stores open. And the explanation that only came five weeks later was that you didn't want people who were dependent on alcohol to suddenly go into withdrawal and need to go to a hospital. Okay, well, that makes sense. But when you don't explain the thinking behind what sounds in the beginning as arbitrary decisions, I think you created more heat and the states with different guidelines. For example, you're in Arkansas, and you had very different experience than I had here in Maryland. And... New York had different experiences, and California, uh, and te- every state, obviously, had different experiences. But this isn't unprecedented. Talk about what we spoke about with suicide prevention.
1: Well, in the past, when we look at our data, and of course, you know, that's a whole subject unto itself but right you know as a state we try to learn from our information and then we look at other communities across across the country and try and figure out um, what trends are happening and you know what kind of programming what what do we need to do what do we need to learn all of these things and so it's it's odd but the state that we most closely resemble is North Dakota. Mm-hmm. They have similar geographic um, regions. They have similar cultures within their populations and all of these things. So when we try to uh, learn from programming or instill things that are going to help people, we always look and see, well, what kind of programming are they doing there? What are their trends look like? What does mm-hmm. their data look like? Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because, you know, you you hear those two states and you think completely different things um, <laughs> when you hear them, but at the same time, you would think, I feel like it would be a natural thing to think, well, you're actually right beside Oklahoma, or you're right beside Tennessee. Right. Why would you not look to the states nearer um, to where you're, you're actually located? And so I think that that plays into it a little bit. We have these whole little microcosms of communities within right. our own states, and it does not make sense for us to compare Arkansas to any place in California whatsoever, um, whether everything else, they don't have the same type of weather issues that we have mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Um, people in, in, in all of these things. So it's important for us to kind of learn from those who have the same types of of protective factors or um, thought processes and all of these other things versus a completely different culture, which I think plays into when we saw what was happening in Italy and yes. how everyone's very fearful and all of these things. And I'm thinking, I can't live on my balcony for the night. I don't even have a balcony. Right, right. <laughs> even the way that we build our our houses and our structures and all of these things are very different. And so we're comparing these differences exactly but people aren't necessarily taking that into consideration because again they may not have that information they may not have that background to know that there are differences and this is why we do things here um and i'll say our our governor he was polarizing people were on both sides of the fence with him some wanted him to you know lock everything down and tell people they couldn't leave their homes others were very thankful that that we didn't go to those types of measures um but you know you can't it's impossible to please everyone (laughs) so
0: it is and and yet what you're saying is so rational you take a look Well, no, the thinking was rational because you take a look at what the data tells you, what are the similarities, what are the differences, what makes sense, because certainly what was made sense in a huge city like L.A. or Manhattan is not the same as in a, a town in Arkansas, a town in Texas, a town... In Maryland, for example, um, Maryland is, is a, is a very odd one because we are also a bedroom community of Washington DC. And so two of our counties are in bad shape because of the, the movement in and out of a bigger city. Um, and, and it more closely resembles the, the urban areas that did have more people close together and uh, public transport and that kind of thing. And so those are things that need to be taken into consideration. I, I want to object to the wording right now. I, I want to object to the words um Quarantine because quarantine in the olden days meant you took the sick people and quarantined them. You segregated them out so that the infections didn't go to the healthy people. That's We just quarantined everyone, and it's a harsh word because of its history. Of course, maybe I'm the only person in the whole world who thinks of etymology in words, but... It it was a harsh word, it seemed to me. I don't care for social distancing. Social distancing makes us isolated in little bubbles. But physical distancing makes sense because physically distance, so you do not spread or give the virus. That makes sense. The other third word, so I have three words that I'm sensitive about these days. The third word is lockdown, which I associate with a prison. And what are we doing in prisons? We're releasing prisoners. <laughs> so we go into lockdown and prisons are releasing prisoners. So there's confusion and an arbitrariness to the use of some words that maybe if we'd had more time or maybe if they'd the governors had had better advisors, we would have come up with a, a fresh language that maybe didn't have baggage attached to it that might have made this a little more tolerable and i i I really do think there's power in words and so i use physical distancing because that to me describes what it is um Lockdown. I I don't have another word for that, nor am I going to think one up because hopefully we will never have to do this again. But do you understand what I'm saying? When I do, those words are powerful.
1: Well, words in general bring power. Just yes, like what we were seeing in the Asian community when when and and I don't. I don't try to assume anyone's intent um, oh, right? unless right, right. they tell me. I, I just don't believe that I have the ability to know what everyone is feeling and thinking at all times. None of us I do. I think all of us make mistakes and all of us say things that we can regret or wish that we hadn't said for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. However, when when people were saying that the Chinese virus, that sent a ripple throughout our community. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people and Asians have been making jokes about this throughout our community, they can't tell us apart. Right. Uh Um, and so there, there's a lot of things that were happening across the board because of that word simply attached to what was happening. Uh So I do believe that words have a lot of power. And I think too, that you're right when it comes to the word social distancing in particular, I stay away. Um, it, it does. And I think part of that is, is, is another thing that it would have taken a little more thought. <sighs> they grabbed it from something that happened a hundred years ago right. and pulled it into today's time. And a hundred years ago, we did have to socially distance. Yes. Um, we don't have to do that anymore. We can get on the phone. We can have a zoom call. We can still Technology. have some right. type of connection. It isn't the same, but I do think that that you're right, you know, so physical distancing
0: has a much better, much more modern. Well, it, it, it fits what the right. circumstances are. And, and so then there's much less baggage attached to that because we can socially distance ourselves when we choose. We don't want to right. be around people. We don't be around people. I don't and know I'm why. talking in normal times. <laughs> right. But when you're suddenly told, no. No social distancing. Nobody outside your family. Right. Well, I would venture to say there are people who are alone in this. So they were alone before. They are alone now. They aren't close to family. Uh, they don't live with someone else, maybe a pet, and socially distanced. Technology works to a certain degree, but it it doesn't fulfill the same thing as talking face-to-face with someone. And so it's there are so many different circumstances. There are people who are safe at home, and there are people who are unsafe at home. And I I would urge everybody to try and put themselves in other people's shoes on the low days because... We don't all have the same circumstances, and some people are having an extended vacation, and they're being paid more than they are if they go to work, and it's pretty good. And then there are others who um, bad things are happening, and we know about both. And I think this is where we come back to our famous word, compassion. We we need to be compassionate and kind and non-judgmental because everybody's circumstances are very very different. Um, there are personal tragedies that occur during this time period that you cannot celebrate the life of someone, for example, no memorial services, um, birthdays you can hold over Zoom. But think about this: we used to have birthday cakes where we allowed someone to blow out a candle and then we ate it. <laughs> Can't see that right now. <laughs> no. Well, but do you see what I'm saying? Right. I mean, the irony of all of that is probably part of our population immunity, but it, it's kind of, that's funny. Some of the other things are, are less right. amusing, um, in terms of, of taking, but, but words matter and circumstances matter and having empathy for other people. Um, can be very instrumental in keeping a better even keel. And when people are showing fears and they're asking for help, I'm there and you're there. And I think there are other people there for each person if they're willing to make themselves vulnerable. And we will always be there. And I hope people have someone that they can talk to.
1: I think, too, that the way that... Our society is functioning right now as far as communication has changed Mm -hmm. some of how we react and respond to what we're seeing Mm -hmm. um, because we see fear as anger. And so now we're reacting to anger instead of fear. Um, And that's an important thing to keep in mind.
0: Well, and fear doesn't bring out the best in people and hurt people hurt others. And it's not always intentional or malicious. So we have another quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Susie Reese and I talk about grief and loss. We're Wise Health for Women Radio and we'll return after these short messages.
4: was growing up in wisconsin no matter how frigid it was outside my uncle bob never seemed to get cold he would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside then again folks from wisconsin are a pretty hearty bunch as america's official dairy state the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop what's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow hog a dog Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: Research has shown that our brains shrink with age, and this shrinkage is a possible cause for absent-mindedness and dementia. Exercise is one of the best things you can do for your brain. Regular exercise produces a number of changes in the brain, both in terms of function and structure. A study by the University of Pittsburgh found that people who walk a minimum of three hours per week maintain brain size. Being physically active has direct benefit to the brain as it makes physiological changes to neurons resulting in improved cognitive performance. So by working out every day and keeping your body fit and in shape, you are doing countless of amazing things to your mind, body, and your brain. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back. I think one of the things that I have realized um, as we've moved through this, and and we are strong people for the most part. I truly believe that, and it is that there's a an underlying um, wave. Of grief uh, that is underlying everything that I live through right now in that I know that things are going to change. And I'm a good adapter to change, mostly because I've had so much change in my life that I've had to adapt to that I've become pretty good at it. But I think a lot of people don't respond well to change, and it's terribly upsetting. That also goes at what time of life you're in, um, I have a family member with alzheimer 's, and change is horrifying and truly agitating and so how you adapt and how flexibly you adapt to change um, makes a big difference. So one of the things that you know kind of holds me together or held me together at, at difficult times before was um, I sing in a church band uh i i anchor my week on my church service and that had to change and so i I've, I've noticed that in not just church life but that in other organizations and groups and nonprofits and veterans associations or anything that i'm associated with some groups have used change as an opportunity to engage in a better way not Communicate. John Maxwell has a book called "Everybody Communicates, Few Connect," and I think that that's very true. So, those who can adapt to change and maintain engagement and connection with people are going to come out of this stronger because they now have multiple ways to um, manage their groups. And you've seen it in business. You know, some things can adapt well to a Zoom call. And other things, I think we will always recognize that we need to see body language and uh, faces. But you, you can get some of the tone of voice. My tone of voice shows on my face, <laughs> which is why I'm on the radio. So at any rate, do, do you understand where I'm going with this? Yes. Is that we, opportunities exist with change, but not everybody embraces change. Well, I think that what you said earlier,
1: I, I kind of giggled to myself because you said that you were kind of forced to, to well, change Well, Sometimes you don't have a choice. right? right. And I, I giggled because I was thinking, yeah, me too, you know, sometimes. Uh-huh. So I'm really good at adapting to situations because I've had to learn right. in order to survive, whereas others haven't had to do that as often and, and so maybe they're, their
0: souls i wish i were right. like that I'm
1: like, oh that's that's so wonderful <laughs> for you about you. That. Very <laughs> but um at the same point you know we have they have the benefits and, and pros and cons to that and so do we yeah um but in the same regard i think too that you're right again engagement communication connection these are not all one in the same um, and I, I read something uh, to the effect of our, our brains are communicating. We know that we're communicating via telephone and zoom and all of these other things, but our hearts and our souls are missing that connection right now because it's not exactly the same. And I have to admit that's a huge part of what I really miss and, and what I do, Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I mentioned to you just being able to go out and have have a lunch with someone that 's beyond just eating food with a person that's absolutely The time that we talk about things that 's the time I get to know someone and that 's one of the best parts of the work that i 've done over the years is. I have these moments in my life that are just palpable moments where someone has told me something very, you know, close to their lives, close to their heart. And I get to share in that. And I haven't had any of those in so long. And I'm thinking that's part of, as we're having this conversation, that's part of what I'm really missing is those connections. And I've sent cards and I've sent texts and things like
0: that. It's just, it isn't the same. No, and I miss human touch. Mm. Um, I do happen to hug close acquaintances, and I'm, I'm not a giant hugger. I don't go hug everybody I see, but I do know that human touch is something that chemically, hormonally, right. helps you. It, it it generates the the feel good uh, hormone, the bonding hormone of serotonin, and during times of stress, we have heightened levels mm-hmm. of cortisol. Cortisol does nasty things to you. It raises anxiety, causes you to gain weight, uh, to eat, to to be fearful, all of those things. Well, human touch, you know, holding a hand, getting a hug, uh, just a tap on the shoulder from someone to know that you matter, those things are missing. And that's part of the humanness piece that I personally miss. And, you know, those of us with love languages that include Touch and uh, expression and and facial expressions and and that kind of thing. It's particularly difficult um, because you really do we do need each other in more than just a text message. And that's the fastest way to be misunderstood. I have a long distance relationship, and you can <laughs> you can do a lot with a text message. You can even do a lot with a, a FaceTime call, but there's nothing that replaces being face-to-face with someone, as you said, with lunch and and sharing. Well, and that's how you grow to understand another person.
1: I yes. saw this wonderful um, analogy of what communication is, and we often think of can think of communication as um, two people tossing a baseball back and forth. Mm -hmm. And this analogy said that's inaccurate because really it's more like, it's more like clay. And as Mm -hmm. I hold the clay, I mold it into my own perspective and then I toss it to you and then you, mold it as well. And what comes back to me isn't necessarily what I thought it would be or what I interpreted it to be in all of your perspectives. And all of these things help us mold that clay. And at the end of our communication relationship, whatever you want to look at it as, we have something that we've created together. And that's unique to us. And I think that that's a beautiful analogy. I wish I could say it was mine. It's not, um, <laughs>
0: it is beautiful. No, I really like that because that's how we learn about people. We can talk. We can connect, but it's been hard to continue to grow and human beings thrive on growth and or most, most people do. Uh, some people do not, but in many ways, what we learn and grow, uh, energizes us and gives purpose. I think that's the other thing about the fatigue level that I see, feel, and hear, and they talk about Zoom fatigue, and it's very real. You, you really, we are missing a lot of humanness right now, and that is a depleting effect.
1: It is, and I think that w- what,
0: when you look at Zoom fatigue, our
1: brains are working non-stop. Mm-hmm. And in a, a connective moment, when you have a conversation or something with another person, you get this reward and that purpose can ha- happen and that can be energizing, mm-hmm. but we're not getting that. We're not Mm-mm. being filled back up with these types of connections. And, I, you know, I've, I have smaller children and I had a very brief conversation with one of my child's teachers and she said, I think they're getting zoomed out. And I said, yeah, they can't handle Right. You know, I can barely handle what we're doing to ourselves mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um because it isn't the same. But that's what we have and I'm thankful that we do have that. It's better yes. than the alternative. But but you're right in the regard that it's not the same for every person. And I I thought back to my grandfather earlier. He can't text. He can't call mm-hmm. really. He can barely see. He is isolated and he mm-hmm. is one of the more vulnerable individuals. Right. And I often think of him, but I also just want to go and see him of course desperately. You do. So, you know, we talk about where we are in, in, you know, guidelines and, you know, protocols and all of these things. And at what point do I just say, I can't
0: take it anymore. I need to go see him. My cranky old grandpa. <laughs> so. Well, you, you're, you're leading us right into the next point, which is we've been oh so responsible. We've adapted the way we could. But how much have we given up of our freedoms in terms of being able to know that from a mental health perspective, from a family connection, that, that these times will never come back to us. You know, time... <laughs> Time can't be retrieved. You know, once it passes, it's gone. And it's hard to think of uh, an in, a, a finite resource, you know, diminishing for us. But it is. And it is uh, – we are not used to, as Americans, having those kinds of freedoms taken away from us. And we talked on another show that, you know, in the beginning maybe we acted like bad teenagers – Well, there is a point at which, though, now that there is more data in from America that we can see right down to the county level, that we we begin to question. We become teenagers again in a way, but in a good way, because as a teenager, you often are seeking knowledge because you want to become a responsible grown-up, and so – we move into now more of a questioning phase and wanting to know the arbitrariness of why this but not this. Why is that okay? Why am I being forced to do this? And I, and I do mean forced in certain states, mine in particular. Um, and there are even tighter restrictions in, in other places, but there is a piece of good news I need to pass on. There are. In Australia, which is entering its winter. So, okay, they've been through what we've been through, but now they're entering their winter. There are only 11 cases in the entire country. Wow. That's good news. It is good news. It's good news, and we don't often get good news. So I, I think that that is a phenomenal thing and gives us hope because in the end, we need hope. We do need hope to, to keep us going and to let us understand that our efforts are not in vain and that there is definitely better, brighter days ahead. Would you agree? I completely agree. I think that that is one thing we can never get enough of. <laughs> oh, hope, hope springs eternal, um, and and I go beyond that into hope is not a strategy, but hope is a very good foundational step for our mental health and our sleep. And yes, we need more sleep right now. We need to be kind to ourselves, but um, there is some hope coming, and brighter days are coming ahead. We have our last break and then we will come back and talk more about our responsibilities, our freedoms, where we go from here and and how we'll get through the next phase of things. Don't go away. wise health for women radio and we'll return after these short messages
2: it's
4: It's well known in medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits they lie about how much they smoke understate how much they drink or eat and overstate how much they exercise What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Pterodiddles. Doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suave eloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: It's words you never
4: heard. Our son just adopted a dog, a red fox Labrador named Scout. There is no better psychologist in the world to help you feel good, like a happy-go-lucky Norse Borse puppy licking your face. Dogs are really smart. If you think dogs can't count, try putting three dog biscuits in your pocket and then giving five to only two of them. Your dog will be snuzzling or poking around with his nose to find the last biscuit. If people are really smarter than dogs, why are we the ones walking along behind them with the pooper scooper? The reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. Even though owning a dog can cause us to become dartle dum or someone who spent all of their energy, dogs reward us by giving us their all. It's the best deal man has ever made.
2: It's
4: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back. We were talking on the break about some of the interesting things that we've seen in terms of people adapting and connecting. For example, I I love the idea of, you know, back to sitting in your cars watching a drive-in movie. You know, that was – I went to one. We were very, very little. So this was a very long time ago. And and it was just so funny because – our parents didn't need a babysitter. We could fall asleep in the back seat of the car, and they got to see a movie. So it made perfect sense. So it's kind of interesting the way some of these things are adapting. Um, and in Belgium, they took their uh, cherry picker from the local EMS and put loved ones in uh, the cherry picker and, and held it up to a third-story room. In a nursing home, so that people could see each other face to face. You've seen, I'm sure, um, in the newspapers or on television or on videos or on social media, where you know there are people with cards and placards outside uh, retirement homes, mm-hmm. seeing their loved ones. And there's there's something that you see in the spirit of those who are seeing it. I bet your grandfather would love that. Yes, um, we've, we've been sending him, I've had my children drawing him, him
1: notes and things and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, trying to do what we can and then waving. <laughs> <laughs> he's, right. He's, he's, he's very cranky, which he won't mind me saying because he is, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's entitled to that at this point. Right. Uh, he's been cranky for a while. I will say that. <laughs> but um, Well,
0: growing old is not for sissies. No, so it isn't. Hepburn, right. <laughs>
1: And I, I think that they came from a different era too, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he sees us in passing and things and he's like, this isn't enough. You need to come in. I'm like, you have to just, I don't want to get you sick. That's the worst possible. Oh, outcome. that would be but, awful. Right. Right. Um, but at some point, you know, unfortunately, we've had family losses and, and things happen yes. in these past few weeks and you, you have to weigh those choices sometimes. What, what do we do? So, you know, my hope is that because we've had to sacrifice seeing one another the way that we were before, maybe we can keep those concepts of, you know, needing to spend more quality time with each other when we do have the opportunity to, to do that again. I think that we can all share in that sentiment right now.
0: Well, and, and I'll take it a step further. I don't grieve the pre-COVID life from the overly busy, the overly scheduled, the overly, um, thoughtless, uh, or not thoughtful maybe is a better way to put it. Um, I don't know that we really understood. Where we were, and that you know families are important and friends are important, um, our health is vital. People keep making jokes about the quarantine15, but if we've learned nothing else, we've learned that uh, obesity is an underlying condition that is not good for just about anything. Your joints, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease. you know we've all known it, but now it's been illustrated. And so my hope is that people come out with some thoughts of improvement um, and personal improvement, not things that rely on other people to do, but our but ourselves. What did we learn from this? Um, What did we jettison without a problem? And. What will we not go back to? So I I find it interesting because, yes, some of our freedoms were taken. But what will it look like when we're given back our freedoms? Will we fall back into the same old traps that we were in? The answer is probably yes for some people. But maybe, maybe we can also use this as an opportunity to take care of ourselves and our loved ones in a different way.
1: Well, and I think that when we talk about grief and loss, those are concepts that tend to, for me at least, I, I tend to get introspective and start thinking about, well, how has this changed what I'm going to do moving forward? And right. I know when I've lost people in the past, it's you have this overwhelming sense of, I have to change how I speak with people or share love or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that I've I've taken away from this too is what what am I going to do moving forward? How can I um, be a better human being? Right? <laughs> because yes. we can always try to be better human beings for ourselves and others. Um, but also, you know, again, I have smaller children, so they have an experience I am only now having. Right. How can I grow with them through that and learn? Um, in a way that's going to empower them and not create fear, because that that is a concern, especially with yes. uh, the all the adults who are so full of fear right now. Um, I don't want to traumatize them in an, in a way that I won't know how to <laughs> address for years to come. So I think there's so many lessons
0: that are here mm-hmm. that we can if all share and right we look. Exactly. <laughs> if if we're wise. Um, my four year old grandson his preschool teacher did a drive around Mm. to all of the kids yesterday and the look on his face was so precious in the picture i was sent because no of course i can't see them of course not um but those are the kinds of things that are so sweet you know our, our teachers are missing their kids and the kids are missing that person that isn't their parent that is doing other things. So I, I would love to think that some things have more appreciated. I think teachers are more appreciated right now. I would agree. And I think, too, that especially
1: <laughs> that parents who are in similar situations as, as I am, thinking I am not made for homeschooling. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've managed through, we, we've made it so far, but um, I agree. I think that we have taken – complete advantage of the fact that someone else was there to step in and do the, the mm-hmm. some of the most difficult work. Um, and, and at the same time, they have these relationships with your children that you just, it's, it's important. I know my youngest is desperately missing his teacher. And when she mm-hmm. does make phone calls, you can tell she adores these kids. And this is absolutely right. broken her heart in 24 different ways this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know and i don't know what will happen next year so i think that's part of it we're still in the state of now what <laughs> uh, how we're, how will things move forward beyond this and how do we explain those things and and i know regarding school i don't even know
0: where to begin on that so well i'm i'm hoping that we have tempered this with our children so that they don't grow up in fear and trauma, mm-hmm. and think that they can never be close to people again, or never trust anyone outside the family, or in some cases, don't trust their family at all. Um, there's just some really we we need to consider the smallest among us, mm-hmm. because we if we don't, we've come to realize in many other. Fields, uh, so in my military population, um, in special needs groups, etc. That we absorb a lot as children. That nature nurture thing is extremely strong, and more is caught than taught. And I've I've seen that time and time again. So it is important that we model good behavior as much as possible. Um, although fear is a human emotion, but it also has to be grounded in fact. Mm. Um, otherwise, we are raising a fearful generation. And that's a disadvantage. Um, because that also, usually when people are fearful, they're less trusting. And I think trust is something, as a child, you're usually a lot older when you lose trust in the adults around you. And so I'm hoping that this is one of those changes that we do see people we can trust, people we care about that aren't family, um that that really do care about us. I have a, a neighbor uh with two small children who have become pretty much my surrogate grandchildren at this point. You know, Miss Linda, Miss Linda. And I love it because it's it's so natural. Um but I, I think having all these multi generational people around is a gift. I mean, that's, that's not something that Americans have because we're such a mobile group.
1: Well, and we learn at a young age, we learn that not everyone is our mom or our grandparent mm-hmm. or whoever it is that's raising us. We learn that there are personalities and there's different ways of, of doing things and saying things. And we, there's so much that they're taking in at such mm-hmm. a young age. Mm-hmm. And I worry that this has you know heated some of those those lessons that we can 't be taught from a book, um, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, what you said about keeping the smallest in mind and and mm-hmm. trying to I worry about those children that are in homes that are not being cared for and right. that school was their safe haven. And mm-hmm. I I remember having those feelings at a very young age that when I'm at school, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So that terrifies me for, for the children that now don't have that and don't have adults that are helping them through these things. And so I wonder how we as a community can, can try and bridge those gaps when we have the opportunity to do that again, because I'm hoping it
0: comes with explanations Mm -hmm. because I think that you diffuse unknown, uncertain changing, flexible, adaptable situations. If you can explain them and if you can't explain something that creates fear and more questioning. So I'll give you a lighthearted example. Um, I have uh two cats, fostered they were fostered and they're not brothers, so um I I was asked by the four year old yesterday, um, so are you their mother? And I said, I'm sort of their mother. Well, why aren't you their real mother? I said, Well, I'm not a cat. I'm <laughs> I'm not a cat. And so they had a cat mother at some point, uh, but they became lost and so I'm their mother now. Um and and it was a, a lighter way of doing it than trying to explain. I mean, I still remember in the movie when Bambi's mother got shot. Remember, Disney movies always killed the mother off. Right. Um, how upsetting oh, that right. was. And I thought, don't, Linda, do right. not traumatize this poor little child in your neighborhood. So I I don't think that I did. But what do you see as a, a way to bridge this?
1: I think you're right. I think communication and explanations are important. And I, I think too, that sometimes adults disregard how intelligent children can be. Oh, yes. And I think that, that we have to stop doing that because we can learn lessons from them as well. Mm-hmm. And talk about adaptability. Our kids are adaptable little creatures. Mm-hmm. And I've learned some lessons from, from them as well. And for, I, from youth that I've worked with. So I think that we have a lot of growing up to do as a society out of this whole situation, and we can learn from one another, even from the smallest.
0: Absolutely. So there's our perspective on our pre-COVID life misses, and we'll be back next week with another program for you. Take care and stay well. Make it a good week ahead. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.